electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. Today on our podcast, a market sell-off that leads to more volatility. This whole thing has been so head-scratching from, I mean, for the past two or three months, it's been head-scratching. Leaving investors after big tech's trillion-dollar loss wondering what to do. Geez Louise, I got to do something here because I'm not doing enough. Celebrating Harlem Children's Zone, a nonprofit breaking the cycle of generational poverty with founder Jeffrey Canada. If you truly believe Black Lives Matter, let's really get serious about making investments in children and families that we know we have evidence is going to work. And Canada's co-founder and fellow philanthropist, legendary investor Stan Druckenmiller, on his best investment to date and the markets right now. The merging of the Fed and the Treasury, which is effectively what's happening during COVID, sets a precedent that, well, we've never seen since the Fed got their independence. And it's obviously creating a massive, massive raging mania in financial assets. Those stories, the pause at AstraZeneca's vaccine trial and happy hour at the Kernans. I just want to give a plug to something that's the greatest invention in recent history, and that is this spiked seltzer. I am CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Wednesday, September 9th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and we are watching the markets this morning. First up today on the podcast, Market Madness. Wall Street looking to bounce back from a technology-led sell-off that pushed the NASDAQ Composite Index into correction territory. That's a market decline of at least 10% from recent highs. Shares of Tesla, which had their single worst day ever yesterday, dropped 21%. And Apple, Apple lost more than 6%. Those two stocks, along with other heavyweights, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook, lost $1 trillion in market value in just the last three days. But like all things 2020, it's a roller coaster. Despite the recent losses, the NASDAQ is still up more than 63% from its 52-week low in March of this year. Here's Becky. If you were paying attention yesterday or any time over the last three trading sessions, you know what's been happening. There has been a big sell-off that's been uh, led by technology. Guys, this has just sped up and has been uh, just uh, kind of mind-blowing for anybody who hasn't lived through these types of uh, euphorias and then coming down off the highs in the past. I guess we need, uh, for some reason on the way up, we, we kind of get, uh, I don't really say we get used to it or inured to it, but Complacent. what was Apple uh, after yeah. the... Sp- after the split, we're not even completely, but we don't quite notice it as much. Right. After the split, was Apple up, I read somewhere, 40% or something? So, I mean, we looked at right. Tesla. Remember yeah. when we were arguing about Tesla at $500 a share? Look, look where it went. So watching this, this now, uh, when you're up, I don't know, even the S&P was up almost 60% uh, since March. So you yeah. get these crazy moves to the upside, and the we should have probably been able to, uh, to, to, to realize after watching this for all these years how quickly these, these corrections can come and how scary they can be. And, and to, to get that move in the NASDAQ and then have a correction in three days, maybe we need to 
uh, you know, even revise the terms for how we what we talk about, because a 10 percent pullback, given what the Nasdaq has already done, um, I guess, is to be expected. It's and, nothing. And maybe not. It's that, nothing. Um, yeah. Not that it, shocking. It and and, where, and, and not to say that these. I mean, right. Sure. If you're a long term investor, this is no big deal, because if you were looking at this, those six stocks losing a trillion dollars in value. Well, they're still up two trillion dollars for the year to date. So if you're a long term investor, it exactly. doesn't matter. You are still sitting on winners. The problem is, is if you are a trader and there are so many new traders who have come in, uh, short term traders who have come into this, then you could be sitting on some pretty substantial losses. If you're somebody who bought into Tesla, let's say, uh, when it issued that $5 billion in additional shares last week, well, then you've got some problems on your hand. That stock was down 21% yesterday, yesterday in one day, and that comes on gains that it had already built on from the last several trading sessions. In fact, I'm just trying to figure out how much it's well, down in the last you, four days. You, 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 it's down 30% since the Can we be honest? This whole thing has been so head-scratching from, I mean, for the past two or three months, it's been head-scratching. The past three or four weeks have been clearly so head-scratching. I think anybody who's come on this show, who's talked ever about value, has, has made that point. And, and uh, you know, you talked, Becky, to, uh, to Cooperman just a week or two ago now. And, you know, and he said it, when, when, when a stock splits, it doesn't just go up by, because people are making money in, in, in money heaven or I don't know where, what, how they think this is supposed to be happening. But I, I don't know. And maybe I'm being cynical, well, the, but the, I, the I, pandemic, I feel like it, we watch the, 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 the pandemic play. The, the pandemic play got, you know, okay, now we found something we can, we can do. Look at di- digital's going crazy. Everybody's staying at home. Wow, all these stocks that, that allow for the new normal and allow for people to function in the new normal. That's where we can go and we can buy. And then that gets to a right. point where, okay, it makes some sense. And then it triples from there. And then, you know, you, you compare where it goes based on momentum and, uh, you know, Robin Hood and Portnoy and all this stuff. And you, you see where it gets. And it's so far removed from from any normal metrics that this is what can happen. And I, I mean, I, I hesitate to say bag holders, but people that are buying uh, Tesla or Apple or some of these other really stretched fang stocks that, that are piling in, maybe they maybe they do have uh, other other jobs during the day. And maybe these are the famous day traders that that get in at, at, you know, at the end of, of moves and stuff. But I don't know. Would you? I love Apple, but at $2 trillion, are, are you ready look, to, you then know? You the, then you had the soft bank piece of this, which I think actually was demonstrable. I mean, I right. think that actually really did push this up. And then I think you had professionals who thought the train had left the station and they were scratching their head the whole time thinking, this makes no sense to me, but, geez, Louise, I got to do something here because I'm, I'm, do, I'm not doing enough. And, and maybe they were jumping yep. on the train. Guys, this, this AstraZeneca news, Joe. Did anyone else Google transverse myelitis uh, this morning? Because I did. And it's... Oh, this, the condition. This, this, yeah. is, this is the spinal... This is the one patient. Right. This is, yes, it's spinal, but this is the one patient. And, I mean, it exists. It exists. There's a reason we know all about it, because it exists. And it can come from MS or other immune-related uh, diseases. But it, I think it's rare enough, and this is, you know, a vaccine. You're talking about an immune reaction. So it's enough to, to, to worry, but I don't know if we have any idea. I don't think anyone does at this point, and you saw the stock come back quite a bit, although I don't know how much a vaccine would be worth the AstraZeneca's bottom line anyway. This is one of the adeno uh, vaccines, so it is, you are putting a, a part of a, you know, part of a, a, not coronavirus, but the adeno vector 
does give an own, its own immune response in addition to having the spike protein expressed. But there's the, uh, the stock did come back quite a bit. Meg Terrell uh, joins us now with more. I hadn't and considered the possibility that, that the spike protein itself could, uh, uh, it could result in some of the sickness that you get. Uh, from coronavirus that causes uh, the COVID. And that, that would be, that's worrisome. Yeah, Joe, there are a lot more questions than answers about this event this morning. Um, it was reported late last night that AstraZeneca had paused all of its studies at it, as it investigates this one event in the UK. That was reported by Stat News. Uh, in a statement, AstraZeneca telling us that as part of these ongoing global trials, our standard review process was triggered and we voluntarily paused vaccination to allow review of safety data by an independent committee. Now, here's what we do know. This is what they call a routine action after a, quote, single potentially unexplained illness. It may be unrelated to the vaccine and they are expediting the review to minimize the impact on the trial timeline. Uh, now, there was some speculation this could affect trials of other vaccines. We've reached out to Pfizer and Moderna, as well as Johnson & Johnson. Pfizer and Moderna, of course, started their phase three trials in the U.S. in late July. AstraZeneca had just begun that trial in late August. None of those other companies right now see any impact on their timelines. Uh, I also reached out to Operation Warp Speed, of course, the Trump administration's effort to uh, speed vaccines to market. And Monsef Slawi, uh, the chief advisor, telling me, quote, this pause while the adverse event is fully investigated means the science-based data-driven process is working as it should. He noted they've got a portfolio of candidates and platforms, and he believes they're still on track to deliver a safe and effective vaccine by the end of the year. Uh, but Joe, you're right. There's so many questions about what this event is, whether it was caused by the vaccine, and what impact it'll have on this trial and potentially other trials. Right now, those are all question marks, and we're just going to have to wait for more information. On the business side of things, uh, Meg, just, just watching the stock, should we... Should we tie it to AstraZeneca's actual uh, income statement? I, I don't know. How big of an event would it be? Everyone wants a vaccine, obviously, and there's bragging rights. And, it, it, you know, and he, for humanitarian reasons, it's, it's very important. But people say it might not be uh, that much to the bottom line. So should we look at the action in the stock to try to glean what's really happening? <laughs> uh Probably not. I, you know, last night the stock was down about 8%. It's a scary headline. When there's a safety right. event in a major clinical trial, That that's, that's scary. But we just don't really know exactly what's happening. And, you know, for smaller companies, their stock prices are tied directly to any whisper of news about these vaccines because they could be so meaningful uh, to these companies, their first sources of revenue. But for AstraZeneca, it's an established company with many other products that make many billions of dollars a year in revenue. They're not a vaccine company uh, for the most part. I mean, they've partnered with Oxford on this vaccine to manufacture it and bring it through these large trials. Um, I've seen estimates for the total size of COVID-19 uh, vaccines at multiple billion dollars a year for the entire market. Some are much higher, multiple billions for each individual one. Uh, but this is likely not a make or break product at all for AstraZeneca. All right, Meg, thank you. Coming up on Squawk Pod, breaking the wealth, opportunity and achievement gap with Harlem Children's Zone. CEO Kwame Owusu-Kese. We know the amount of resources that are being invested in finding a vaccine to coronavirus. We believe we have the vaccine to poverty. And the nonprofit's co-founder, Jeff Canada, on what's at stake this school year. As bad as the last six months have been, the next six months in the poorest communities of this country are going to be even worse. 
plus fellow co-founder and legendary investor Stan Druckenmiller's money advice. The one thing I hate more than anything is pouring money down a rat hole. And if you give money to HCZ, you are not pouring the money down a rat hole. You're making a great investment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. As children get back to school this week, parents and caretakers are setting up makeshift classrooms and living rooms, bedrooms, and at kitchen tables, ensuring the best education environment they can for a new normal of remote learning. It's hard for everyone, but for parents who don't have the luxury of working from home or from families on or below the poverty line with unreliable internet connectivity, one room for multiple students, and limited childcare and food support, the idea of a hybrid school year in the middle of a pandemic is nothing short of disaster for Americans of color who are disproportionately likely to be essential workers and to be more physically and financially hit by the coronavirus. The gap in opportunity, education, and achievement is more evident now than ever. It's at this critical point that the Harlem Children's Zone celebrates its 20th anniversary today. The New York-based nonprofit is more than a school. It started as a social policy experiment to support the Harlem community and break the cycle of generational poverty so starkly on display right now. In the decades since its founding, HCZ has grown into a successful data-driven model to holistically support communities across the country by starting with formal and informal education from womb to career and providing health, social, and community services along the way. For Harlem Children's Zone and for most working to disrupt systems of racism and inequity in this country, education is key to building generational wealth, which for black America in particular has been severely hindered by history, by institutions, and now by illness. CNBC produced a special program about race and opportunity. And Dr. Tony Coles, CEO of biopharma company Cerevel, explains the problem. Most people don't recognize that even black Americans who, who have advanced degrees, so graduate degrees, accumulate $200,000 fewer in net worth than the average white family. The average black employee with a college degree earns less than the average white high school graduate. And it's even true that white high school dropouts can accumulate more net worth than black college graduates. So there's something systemically broken. There's so much more from that conversation and others on CNBC.com. I highly encourage you to check it out. On Squawk Box's TV broadcast this morning, Joe Kernan spoke with the founders and leaders of the Harlem Children's Zone about their past, their future, and education's role in making change. Join us now with what's to come. We saw the last 20. We're going to look into the, hopefully see what happens in the next 20. Stanley Druckenmiller, Duquesne Family Office CEO. Uh, Jeffrey Canada, a president of the Harlem Children's Zone. And that's who uh, I, uh, I think of as, as the, the, the guy who thought this up and, and um, was early 20 years ago. And Kwame Owusu Kese, he's CEO currently of the, the Harlem Ch- Children's Zone. So we've, we've had this conversation before, uh, gentlemen. And uh, I think most people know what we're talking about. But let's start there again, Jeff, because it was 20 years ago. 
Uh, and you looked around, you're trying to figure out what we need to do. And you said, we need to, to look at these poor communities and we need to structure a middle class environment for these kids. And it was like, whoa, how much would that cost? And is it even possible? That's what you did. Uh, it was funded and it was expensive, but you started using data early on and you've got data to prove that it works. Is, is that, does that summarize essentially what happened, Jeff? I, I think that summarizes what happened, how it happened. Uh, but I want to start the morning by doing something radical that I've never done on national TV before. Uh, I want to say how much I love Stan Druckenmiller. Uh, you know, we've been partners in this work for over 27 years, uh, and none of this, the zone would not have happened. Uh, and you know what? I, I think I think America can learn something about this, right? Two guys from different worlds deciding we both love this country, and America can be better than it is. And the only way we do that is that we got to roll up our shirt sleeves, and we got to really work at this really hard. Uh, and we've been doing that. Uh, and, you know, Stan stepping down after 20 years is something that, uh, you know, I'm very emotional about it uh, because of what we've done. Uh, but here's, here's what people don't understand about the zone. When we started in Harlem, there was not one national chain in Harlem. People did not believe you could do business in black communities. You come to Harlem today and you can find every national chain in America there. And they're all doing well. Uh, this is about not just what's good for these poor black and brown kids, uh, but it's good for America, for us to rebuild these communities. And that's what Stan and I uh, were involved in, and we're passing that baton to Kwame uh, so he can continue this work moving forward. Thank well, you, Jeff. We'll, I love we'll you, get too. Back to, and, and Stan, I want to, uh, I, I mean, it, I mean, it, I think at some point it was like, you know, it, it was a very, um, you know, to, to try to do it took some forward thinking and some some big thinking. And they needed a guy like you, Stan, that could write a check for something like that. And and, uh, and that that, you know, money it, it a lot of times doesn't solve everything. But to do what Harlem Children's Zone does, it's expensive, is it not, Stan? And, and you early on did. Was there ever a time where you said, wow, that's a big number. Will it work? The first time Jeff told me the idea, that's exactly what I said. But um, Jeff had a plan from day one, and it was a model that was laid out, and the plan looked good. But the most important part of the plan was Jeff was going to be open-minded and flexible as to what worked and what did not work. And Jeff probably this is not paying you back well for what you said about me on national TV, but the dirty little secret about Jeff is he's a data geek. And 20 years ago, when no one realized the value of data, one of the four pillars of the Harlem Children's Zone was for us to have an outside and an inside evaluator of everything that worked and did not work. And basically, we started with a model. A lot of stuff worked. A lot of stuff did not work. We had a lot of failures. And if something failed, it was thrown out the window. If something worked, we kept it. And here we are 20 years later, and I think we've really built up 20 years of IP that we're willing to share, willing and anxious to share with the rest of the nation and other communities. So is it expensive? Yeah, but that's kind of a joke because it's about $3,000 per participant. And I think the incarceration rate in New York City is over 120000 a year. And by the way, uh, no tax revenues from the gentlemen and the women that are, that are incarcerated. 
So it's an absolute no-brainer economically and business-wise. But yeah, was I nervous about the big number? Yeah, but you just heard the man. How the hell is anybody not going to back Jeff Canada? <laughs> yep. And the, I think that because you, you started with data so early, Jeff, you can go to, uh, to different uh, people in, in terms of, of, of funding other cities, other uh, children's zone, if you will, and other places. Um, it'll work, but it'll still be expensive. Anyway, Kwame, I want to get to you because I was thinking, you know, Jeff handed you the baton and it's like, hey, uh, Kwame, uh, there's a pandemic called coronavirus. Why don't you? Uh, t- I mean, thanks, Jeff. Uh, it, it, was, it wasn't hard enough. Let's do this during a pandemic. And, and that has informed your, the actions you've had to take since you started, right? Absolutely. Uh, quite the time to be transitioning into the role of CEO. Uh, but I feel wholly prepared for this moment, uh, both because of people like Stan and Jeff and also our previous CEO and Williams Isom. Um, but at the Harlem Children's Zone is at its best in moments of crisis. And, and we always say we run towards the bullets. We don't want, run away from, from them. That's core to who we are. Uh, there's a real opportunity for us to take the leadership mantle of the response to, to COVID-19, not only on the ground in Harlem, um, but as a, a leading example for the nation. Jeff, in terms of the next 20 years, and, and Kwame, you can uh, speak to this as well. Given the events of, of 2020 in the, in the past six months, in terms of, of the awareness being raised in so many uh, so many people wanting to get involved and saying this is the time and corporations. And we've seen all these numbers thrown around. I'm putting 100 million here. This company's doing 100 million. And then there have been times where they said, where, what should we do with this? Is it, you know, how do we use this? Have you tried to, to say, Jeff, look, we know what to do with this. If you're wondering where to go, I mean, can't you say we, we've got the answer? Send it here. Well, look, I, I honestly believe uh, that uh, there is an answer uh, to uh, poverty uh, that has been generational in this country. And we've got the evidence, outside evidence. Uh, you know, we've got the one of the top most uh, economists in the country, Roland Fryer, who did the numbers, who proved what we were doing, was breaking that cycle of poverty uh, in this country. Uh, and it's not just me. I mean, Stan and I are out saying to the rest of this country, if you care about these communities, if you truly believe Black Lives Matter, then we need to make the kind of investment in these places. That's not about slogans like defund the police and stuff like that. This is about let's really get serious about making investments in children and families that we know we have evidence is going to work. And I'm telling you uh, that we need to take this crisis that's going on right now in this country seriously. As bad as the last six months have been, Uh, The next six months in the poorest communities of this country are going to be even worse. So we need to begin to act with real urgency uh, and do the kind of investments that make a difference. And look, if corporations are wondering uh, what they should do, uh, we have an answer uh, that says, look, you need to make smart investments in places that's going to deliver the data that proves the efficacy of this work uh, that we're doing in poor communities. I agree with Jeff wholeheartedly uh, on this. Uh, we know the amount of resources that are being invested in finding a vaccine to coronavirus. Uh, we believe we have the vaccine to poverty here on the ground in Harlem and will be spreading our model across the nation, right? Targeting neighborhoods with comprehensive services is the vaccine. And we need to be able to mobilize resources with the same uh, intention um, and the same uh, sense of urgency 
in communities focused on place-based efforts. Um, and the other thing that I, I wanted to emphasize is when people think about nonprofit or think about the work of the Harlem Children's Zone. I don't want to be known just as a best-in-class nonprofit organization. I want to be known as a best-in-class business, right? We have seen with COVID-19, with the impact of the social unrest, how interconnected we are and the need for cross-sectoral leadership. So when we look at high-quality organizations like the Harlem Children's Zone doing place-based work, I want folks to see centers of excellence, whether it is high-quality um, product and customer service, whether it's general management practices and good governance, uh, whether it's strategic planning and innovation. I think there's a real opportunity to break mental models about what this work takes and invest in these organizations. Do you have, now, I, uh, Stan, I, do you want to weigh in? Yeah, I just wanted to say I've seen a lot of CEOs on your show who look incredibly sincere. They've talked about giving money toward racial equity, trying to deal with this problem. Look, I've made a lot of investments in my life. The best one I ever made was HCZ. I would just encourage those CEOs to come look at the data, talk to Kwame, because if you're going to invest in racial equity, you should invest in something that works. We have the data that proves it works. We have an event tonight. Um, I would like them to just take the perspective of, of a company like Ripple, which we haven't worked with before. They looked at us. They're given $5 million um, toward our event. That money is going to be put to use uh, around the nation in six different cities as well as Harlem. And I would just say take a look because the one thing I hate more than anything is pouring money down a rat hole. And if you give money to HCZ, you are not pouring the money down a rat hole. You're making a great investment. Hey, I, I want to just ask one sticky point, and I don't care whether you answer Stan or, or Kwame or, or Jeff, but should we think of HCZ as, as school choice? Does it go hand in hand with charter? It, it, sometimes, I mean, for, for whether it's good or not, there are people that, that, don't, that don't think charter schools are the way to go, that we need to fix public schools. Should we think of HCZ as school, a, cho a school choice proxy, Jeff? And, and does that hurt sometimes that you might not be able to, to appeal to as many different groups for, uh, you know, for philanthropy? Yeah, so this is, this is one of the, uh, I think, uh, fallacies about the Harlem Children's Zone. Uh, yes, we have eliminated the white-black achievement gap uh, in our schools. And we have the data. They're public. Everybody can see that. It's something the country's been trying to do for the last 50 years. Uh, we've done that. But most of our young people who are in college, we have over 900 young people in college right now, uh, they didn't come from our charter schools. They came from the traditional public schools uh, in our zones. Uh, so the Harlem Children's Zone is not just about charter schools. We're about great education. While I'm a supporter of charter schools, I also have been fighting to make sure our public education systems have the technology, have the connectivity, so our children can continue their education across this country. Uh, and I think this is really about great schools, and we shouldn't be pigeonholed just being a charter school entity, because we're not. Most of our children attend traditional public schools. 
Later on in this interview, Joe turned to Stanley Druckenmiller, the man you just heard who wrote the check, so to speak, for the first iteration of the Harlem Children's Zone. Druckenmiller, in addition to being a staunch philanthropist, is a prolific investor. You probably know him as a billionaire hedge funder, or maybe as a former manager for another legendary investor, George Soros. Druckenmiller started Duquesne Capital Management and now runs Duquesne Family Office, and a frequent collaborator and co-author of his is Kevin Warsh. Who's Kevin Warsh? He is a former governor for the Federal Reserve and has remained outspoken on Fed policy since he left the Fed board in 2011. This week, he penned an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal called The Fed Put Its Independence on the Line. Why am I telling you about Kevin Warsh? That's where Joe Kernan starts with Stanley Druckenmiller talking about 2020's wild market ride. I can start with Kevin's uh, op-ed piece, and this has been a theme for a while. The Fed is a big part of our lives, uh, might be great for Wall Street, not necessarily great for Main Street. Where are we right now, Stan? Well, Kevin has written a lot of great articles in the last few years, so I'd say it's a very high bar, but personally, I think it was his best piece ever. And I think the merging of the Fed and the Treasury, which is effectively what's happening during COVID, um, sets a precedent that well, we've never seen since the Fed got their independence. And uh, it's obviously creating a massive, massive raging mania in financial assets. And as you just pointed out, Joe, it has not spilled over the Main Street. I would just say that um, I hear a lot of people on the air applauding Jay Powell, saying he saved the world. And I do think he did a great job in March. I think the follow-up has been excessive. And I just want all you guys cheering him on to remember the maestro in 2005 and how that worked out. Look, everybody loves a party. Jeff loves a party. Mommy loves a party. I love a party. I assume you guys love a party. But inevitably, after a big party, there's a hangover. And right now, we're in an absolute raging mania. Um, We've got commentators on your network encouraging companies to do stock splits, Companies then go up 50%, 30%, 40%, big market cap companies on stock splits. As Andrew pointed out early in your show today, that creates no value, but the, but the stocks go up. Look, Joe, I have no clue where the market's going to go in the near term. I don't know whether it's going to go up 10%. I don't know whether it's going to go down 10%. But I just want to remind people <laughs> that um, – there is no valuation support because we dropped 10%. That hasn't mattered um, because we're so far outside of the valuation realm with the Fed doing what they're doing. That doesn't matter. But I would say that the next three to five years are going to be very, very challenging. And, and what the Fed has done, in my opinion, if you listen to their, their, the Jackson Hole speech on the framework, it was quite amazing. It sounded like an apology because inflation has been 1.6 instead of 2 the last 10 years. Well, their mandate is price stability, where I think 1.6 is like they hit a home run. They actually sound like they've been too tight the last 10 years. And look what they're risking in terms of financial stability to hit that 2% mark. And my my, my own sort of central case is, for the first time in a long, long time, I'm actually worried about inflation. Unless everything I, wa- I learned about at Bowdoin um, is incorrect, de facto MMT, which is what we're doing right now, because we actually have the chairman of the Federal Reserve 
with a three and a half trillion dollar deficit out lobbying Congress to do more spending and guaranteeing those of us on Wall Street that he'll underwrite it. I think it's I think it's dangerous. I think we could easily see five to ten percent inflation in the next four or five years. Ironically, I also think he's risked he's raised the risk of deflation because I cannot find a deflation that happened because you were near the so-called zero bound. Everyone was preceded by an asset bubble and he's created this massive asset bubble. So ironically, he's raised the two tails. The, the risk of inflation is much higher than I'd say it was 12 or 24 months ago. And the risk, the risk of deflation, I'm talking like minus three or 4%, because if things don't work out and we get a bust here, that is up. I think the odds of us hitting the sweet spot, which I would say is around the 2% area, which is where we've been, have actually gone way down with the Fed activity. So at this point, Stan, it just in, it, you know you've had to do, make macro calls. That, that's always been one of your uh, one of your forts. And, and I, I mean, do you think we need more stimulus from from Congress for this, or do you think what's the state of the global economy or, or the U.S. economy right now? Is it is it past the point where we need more stimulus? It's on. It it can go from here without it, or or would you still are there people that still need help, I think. Joe, there's some great anecdotes on the ground. Uh, our friend Ken Langone owns a private trucking business. I've used it for 20 or 30 years. It leads the economy in about six to eight months. It's absolutely booming. There's some noise maybe in there because you have more points of sale with online sales than you do when you're just selling to big boxes. But the data is so strong, it's hard to argue with. Um, then on the other hand, you have obviously the drop-off of unemployment insurance. The, the additions have been put on. The answer is I don't know. I think the most important thing to do is to have an open mind. And just like the inflation outlook where you've got to be open-minded to inflation, but you've got to be open-minded to deflation, um, I think you've got to be open-minded about the economy here. Uh, despite the news on AstraZeneca, I think the, the vaccine data is very encouraging. Um, I just don't know, Joe, um, but there are a lot of signs. A lot of commodities are higher than they were pre-COVID. Um, there's a lot of stuff on the ground. So were we to get a vaccine and con confidence come back, I could see things work out. So if I was, if I was Congress, I wouldn't be in a hurry to do some, some great addition here. I, could, I, I do think it's a little ridiculous that they can't get together and give some help that we've all talked about in the problem spots. But the answer is, I just don't know, Joe. Stan, thanks. Thanks for that. That was, uh, that was, I look forward to hearing your thoughts whenever we, we are, are fortunate enough to hear it. And gentlemen, congratulations, uh, Jeff. Um, great 20, you're really 27 years in Kwame. Um, you got this. Uh, I don't think the <laughs> pandemic, you. but uh, it, we, the, the future looks bright. You know, with with what we've seen demonstrated by HCZ up to this point. Hey, Jeff, I think Stan still got some. Uh, you know, if it, I mean, push comes to shove, I think you might go back to that uh, back to that well. Mister, consider it. And he's, you know, he already said he really believes in it. So I think he's all softened up for you at this point, gentlemen. Uh, thank you very much, and, and good luck. And we want to see you again. We'll, we will soon, hopefully. And thanks uh, for the opportunity, right, guys. See, thank you. Talk. More Squawk Pod coming up. We will bring a regular segment of our TV show right into podcast world. 
Daily Trivia. As we head to a break, according to the Brewers Association, which independent craft brewery is number one in sales volume? We'll have the answer when we come back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. This is fun. Uh, we don't normally get to, to actually read the answer to the AFLAC trivia quiz, but uh, here it is. According uh, to the Brewers Association, which uh, independent craft brewer is number one in sales volume? The answer, Yangling. Yangling is also the oldest operating brewery in America. And, and Becky, before we, we get off of this subject and... It, you know, Sorkin, you're, you're, you're a piece of work, but we ask you your biggest vice in it. You said you drink like sparkling water or something in the house. And, that, you know, that's a stretch because it might be bad for, uh, you know, dental, uh, I don't know, enamel or something like that. I just want to give a, a plug to something that's the greatest invention in recent history, and that is this spiked Beer? seltzer. And I'm not going to mention any brand names because I'm not being, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not being compensated to mention any. But there's one in particular that's named after a Jack London novel um, that I've tried lime. I've tried black cherry. uh, I've tried. I mean, they're so good. And you know what happened? I I stopped drinking soda. Right. Because I don't know. There's something about that sweetener. Maybe that's bad. Who knows? You you know, maybe I ought to have. Anyway, I can't do sugar because I'm too fat. And, and so I drink and, and I've started drinking these like Poland Springs flavored like lime. And so I love them. Oh, and I, 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 lo- those. And those I drink good. them in there. Yeah, those are good. Raspberry lime. I mean, I drink them in, and they, they quench your thirst so well and you don't have that aftertaste. Try that quenching your thirst with a spiked uh, seltzer sorkin. It's like the great it's five percent alcohol. Not a big deal. Just just have one. Huh? How many of you had this morning? Uh... Well, the first six go down pretty smooth. That's all I'm going to tell you. Uh, no, but I had, honestly, I had a long day yesterday at the DMV. Uh, not for me, but uh, anyway, I had one when I got home, and it, it, it was great. But I'm not mentioning any names, Becky. White Fang. Okay. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. On our rundown tomorrow, Netflix co-founder and co-CEO Reed Hastings on all things streaming, remember the Tiger King era of the pandemic, and on managing a Silicon Valley giant from home. I think it's really valuable and important and useful to have in-person meetings, and I miss that. So uh, I would say there's nothing good about the 10-person Zoom call that I wouldn't rather uh, do in person. 
Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod, available for free wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.